Welcome to Skiba News Nation, bringing you unfiltered views, news, interviews, discussions, and more. And now, here's your host, Jeremiah Skiba, award-winning musician and son of Rob Skiba. Hey, Skiba News Nation family, welcome to episode four of the Skiba News Nation podcast show. This upcoming episode, we'll be discussing current events like why community is so important, forced cohesion, the mouse utopia experiment, why gas prices are so crazy, SADS, and the dangers of AI. And for history, we'll be talking about the 1966 school shooting that happened at the University of Texas at the clock tower. We have an eyewitness that has never been interviewed, a Skiba News Nation exclusive. So stay tuned. Anyways, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Jake Grant. How you doing, Jake? Hey, what's up, Jeremiah? Doing great, man. Good to hear, man. So uh, what have you been up to? Well, uh, this weekend, this previous weekend, my family and I went to a music festival and got to hang out with a bunch of friends, and it actually gave me a, a little bit of the topics I'd like to talk about today. I'm, I'm really excited. It was a great time. Awesome, man. Yeah, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's dive right in. Today's news, uh, just to kind of give a little bit of a forecast, uh, today before we get into the news news, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the importance of community. Like I said, my family and I re recently went to this music festival up in Iowa. Uh, it was a great experience and, and it really made me want to talk about how important community is, especially as the world is being divided. Uh, because in the end, those who survive are going to be those who are united under truth. And I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what's going on in the cities, uh, how there's a thing called forced cohesion where the government, the, the powers that be, want people to be the smeltering pot in the cities and how uh, that is in contrast to healthy community. And, uh, and, and we're going to look at a little video about the mouse utopia experiment, which is a great explanation of why the cities are degrading in the different political and moral systems that are emerging from these concentrations of mankind and how uh, some, some rat experiments with these rodents is able to forecast what is actually going on in the cities today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about gas prices. They're going oh, absolutely crazy today. Oh, man. Um, and, and some other news, we're going to talk a little bit about sudden adult death syndrome, which is something that's currently being pushed by the media. And the big question is, what's causing adults to die suddenly? Well, could it possibly be a little medical procedure that a lot of people went through last year? Very possibly. Um, we're going to also then get into the bigger segment for today's current news, which is artificial intelligence and do a lot of discussion regarding AI and how uh, guys like Elon Musk are mm. all about technology and they've even warned people about where AI is going. But we're also going to talk about how it could affect our lives 
And then we're going to finish off the news segment with a little interesting metaphor video that I recently saw on an interview with Jim Brewer and Owen Benjamin. And mm -hmm. it's regarding population control and global governance in relation to a great analogy, which was milking animals for milk, right? Goat right. milk or cow yeah. milk or whatever. And uh, it's a, just going to be a great show today, man. And I know you have an awesome segment today as well that I'm really excited about our history segment. And so I'm, I'm really excited to talk about that and, and some of the topics around that as well. Yeah, I'm excited to show you. I want it to be kind of a surprise, but we'll get into the we'll get into that after the current news. So take it away. All right. All right. Well, I wanted to start off today, like I said, just to show like this quick video of this event that we went to. We It was this big music festival in Iowa, and it was a lot of people coming together, singing, dancing, you know, all kinds of music. Uh, I, I got to meet up with a bunch of my buddies that live in Iowa. We were up on a hill blowing shofars and at the sunset and got to eat food and, and sit around the campfires together and and I wanted to just share, you know, some of this awesome event because it really does remind me how important community is. And after showing this video, I wanted to share with you guys a interesting post that I saw on Facebook, just browsing, you know, um, and it's a great reminder of, of the way that political differences and things in the world today are really dividing people. And, and this is what the post said, a disagreement or different political view can cost you a friend in this hostile age of intolerance. You could be forced to evaluate how deep your friendships really are. You might discover the sad reality that you're walking in shallow water. True relationships stand the test of time, regardless of a different point of view, whether it's change in social status or job, or even the church you attend, True friendship is not just functional, but it establishes a steadfast system of love and support. And it's, it's love at all times, right? Not love just when somebody agrees with you. And invest in and deepen real relationships that don't end. And when a shift in the wind comes, like these things that are happening in the world today, like we're going to talk about in our current news segment, then this is greatly reflected in a Proverbs and Proverbs. 1824 a man with many friends can still be ruined but a true friend sticks closer than a brother and i wanted to talk about that just briefly because as the world starts to go into these turbulent times the 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 taste is on the wind we see the signs we see how the media is going bonkers we see how people are going bonkers and uh and there's this great reminder we have in the scripture in Hebrews 10, 24 through 27. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing nigh. That's why it is so important uh, for us to have community because when we're with people to work together on projects, kind of like what me and you are doing, Jeremiah, we're, yeah. we're working together for a greater good, for a greater cause to spread truth in the world. And uh, how important is that, man? Just We can't be islands to ourselves anymore because everything's being thrown against us, all these deceptions. And, and on the chance that I'm not hearing the voice of God in a particular topic or situation, hopefully guys like, like you or, or whoever can speak into my life and, and give me that watchman warning or help encourage me in areas that I'm falling short in or, or if I'm feeling like lonely or depressed, having a, a strong community is so, so important. And 
And that goes into what I was wanting to talk about. Uh, and we're going to look at this really interesting experiment uh, that is uh, the difference between forced cohesion, which is what is happening in the cities today, where they are forcing people of all different tribes and uh, ethnicities and cultures to have to live in close proximity and what that results in is a a culture of political correctness where nobody mm. can offend anybody yeah. else and what it does is it steals people's identities it steals people's cultures and their heritage and it forces them into this amalgamation of just all these different government-based uh pursuits and government-based culture uh which we have been talking about in previous episodes are very poisonous anti-biblical, anti-family, uh, anti-you, right? And that's what they want, everybody united under these flags of, of ideology that are contrary to human nature itself and, and to the Word of God as well, even more importantly. But, uh, man, this is going to be so interesting. I'm really excited to share with you this video. I was turned on to it by, by BB, right? You know, one of the guys I've been, you know, shouting out, I'm excited uh, to see it. It's a mouse utopia experiment and it explains what is happening today in our cities. And it's in relation to this mouse experiment that shows when mice are kept in a very dense population, they start acting out the very things we are seeing. Wow. Foaming the mouth of the liberal inner cities. So let's just watch this mouse utopia experiment. Work of Dr. John Calhoun at the National Institute of Health in Washington, D.C. has attempted to answer this question. In a unique experiment that took years to complete, Dr. Calhoun used white mice to study population growth and its effects on individual behavior. In addition to his renowned research papers, he has recorded some of these observations on film. In this 16-cell mouse habitat, utopian conditions of nutrition, comfort, and housing were provided for a potential population of over 3,000 mice. Yet, in spite of ideal conditions, the mouse population met with catastrophe. Individuals were kept track of by color markings on their fur. Factors which normally control population growth, such as predation by owls or cats, were eliminated. Transmissible disease was also reduced. In effect, the mouse universe simulated the present situation of a continually expanding population of humans. To see how Dr. Calhoun's mouse universe grew, we'll use the familiar population graph again. Within the first 100 days, the mice went through the period Dr. Calhoun called Strive. This was a period of adjustment. Territories were established and nests were made. The next period lasted about 250 days. The population of the mice doubled every 60 days. This was called the exploit period. The use of resources became unequal. Although each living unit was identical in structure and opportunities, more food and water was consumed in some areas. As the population increased, most mice associated eating and drinking with the presence of others, and crowding developed in certain units. The third period, consisting of 300 days, found the population of mice leveling off. This was called the equilibrium period. Dr. Calhoun noticed that the newer generations of young were inhibited, since most space was already socially defined. At this time, some unusual behavior became noticeable. 
violence became prevalent. Excess males strived for acceptance, were rejected, and withdrew. Huddling together, they would exhibit brief flurries of violence among themselves. The effects of violence became increasingly visible. Certain individuals became targets of repeated attack. These individuals would have badly chewed and scarred tails. Other young mice growing into adulthood exhibited an even different type of behavior. Dr. Calhoun called these individuals the beautiful ones. Their time was devoted solely to grooming, eating, and sleeping. They never involved themselves with others, engaged in sex, nor would they fight. All appeared as a beautiful exhibit of the species, with keen alert eyes and a healthy, well-kept body. These mice, however, could not cope with unusual stimuli. Though they looked inquisitive, they were, in fact, very stupid. Dr. Calhoun called the last period the die phase, leading the population into extinction. Although the mouse utopia could house 3,000, the population began to decline in 2200. In the shift from the equilibrium to the die phase, each animal became less aware of associates, despite all animals being pushed closer together. Dr. Calhoun concluded that the mice could not effectively deal with the repeated contact of so many individuals. The evidence of violence increased to the point where most individuals had had their tails bitten to some degree. Eventually, the entire mouse population perished. Dr. Calhoun's experiment is a classic example of a typical population and its growth when left unchecked. Research in this area continues under his supervision. Currently, Dr. James Hill has taken the basics of the Calhoun experiment to study social behavior even more closely. In his experiments, rats are used instead of mice. Healthy individuals are selected to start the population. The rats are anesthetized so that Dr. Hill can perform a minor operation necessary to the success of his experiment. A small electromagnetic encapsulated device is implanted into every rat. This small unit enables sensing devices to keep track of the movement and position of each individual in the population. After surgery, the rats are introduced to their new multi-leveled home all at the same time. The rats immediately begin to explore their new environment prior to organizing territories and nesting. Dr. Hill will trace how individuals move about in crowded situations. This movement is followed by tubular sensing devices. Every time a rat enters or passes through a tube, the unit detects and registers its presence. This constant movement is monitored by computer. Nesting activity is also studied. Dr. Hill has observed that the larger the population, the less care a mother gives to her nest and young. The same type of individuals that resulted in the mouse utopia are also emerging in the rat population. There are aggressives, asocial, and outcasts. So these studies use animals. The findings about population growth and individual behavior are being closely compared to our own human population. Like all populations that have existed on this planet, many researchers believe that the human race has reached a crucial point in the exploit phase a point where important decisions must be made and careful planning implemented if we are to survive. The study of plant and animal populations helps us to make decisions about the future of our human population so that we may maintain our own balance with nature.
Wow. What are your thoughts? Oh my God, I think there's so many parallels in what we just saw and today. Like, when was that made? That was made years ago, I think 1950s. John, uh, John Calhoun's Mice, Mouse Utopia experiment. And, uh, oh man, just just to give you a full few bullet points of the, the whole thing, uh, the concentrated amount of mice right caused several interesting things it caused aggression in the population it caused them to stop breeding which is very interesting it's almost like they recognized that in a concentrated area there was no hope for their offspring to be able to spread out and so they stopped having babies right mm -hmm. uh we also have the aggression of female mice when you look into the experiment, the, the female mice began to kill and eat their young, which is tied to the modern abortion uh, thing that's being pushed mostly in major cities. Um, we also have the interesting uh, kind of the, the beautiful mice is what they called them. And, and the increase of mouse vanity, so to speak, uh, which is something that we kind of see in, even in the cities of, of people that are just beautiful people, but they don't do anything. They're just kind of dumbed down they're just there uh, beautiful exactly just kind of asexual humans which is tied in also to the the uh the transgenderism uh topic there there's so many parallels with this mouse utopia experiment and what we're seeing through forced cohesion in the cities of large groups of people being crammed all into this like beehive system in the cities yeah it's almost like they're demonizing uh each other like they're they're doing what we're doing now like what people are doing now uh, almost like yeah it's segregate segregating each other based on what exactly they're different groups yeah they, they were they're being aggressive like certain mice were more aggressive or being attacked more than other groups of mice but it ties into even some of the things we've been talking about and we'll talk about in today's episode, which is the mice literally were losing their minds and becoming mm -hmm. more aggressive mm -hmm. towards other mice, which is tied to MK perhaps A-Ultra, uh, the increase of violent shootings and things like that. It's just very interesting that experiments like these could be used to forecast what will happen in these big city environments which is really what the liberal kind of community wants to push people towards. Less people out in the suburbs, less people out in the country, more people in the system, in the cities. More people to control. They want to be able to control us. We just got to stand up and say, no, you can't control me. Yep. That's very and, interesting. And uh, that goes into our next uh, brief discussion is they, they really want to curb mankind's population because while... The powers that be, so to speak, want people living in cities because we're easier to control in the cities. They also recognize that uh, the more people there are, the harder they are to control. And I wanted to show this. Uh, we have the World Economic Forum talking about how they're trying to do carbon footprint reduction. Well, guess what? You are the carbon they want to reduce. Man. They talk about how each and every person is a carbon footprint. This is a great reminder of something we've shared in previous episodes, which is, guess what? According to the Georgia Guidestones, 
They want to maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with, with nature. My dad wanted to expose that right up until, you know, what happened to him. And he was very big into the Georgia Guidestones. And you said that you were there with him when he went at one point. Yes, we were able to visit the Guidestones. Uh, we were at a conference at the time and went out on a like, little tour group to check out these anomalies that just appeared back in the, I think it was the 90s, that these Guidestones were made. Nobody knows who funded it, but it, definitely a lot of money went into it to preserve it. Uh, they even have cameras all around it because people who disagree with this premise yep. would go and vandalize it. You know, your dad was onto something, Jeremiah. He was looking into how they wanted to reduce mankind's population. But at the same time, isn't it interesting how they want to reduce mankind's population, but they also want to funnel us all into the city system because mm -hmm. of control mechanisms? That is interesting. So uh, this goes, goes back along with the topic that I wanted to talk about, which was this importance of community versus forced cohesion, right? And uh, it reminds me of this uh, interesting parable in the scriptures. It's, uh, it talks about the, the difference between the wheat and the tares and the separation. It says, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went away. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, the tares who had also appeared, so the servants and the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. And the servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat that is with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the first time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. And, and you could make the comparison here that the gathering of people, the the groups that are forming together based on various topics are this sign of the harvest that is coming because all of these deceptions are forcing people to group themselves into bundles, right? You know, their the, identity the tears are exactly their identity. Yeah, it's turning people into their identity, like changing your own individual thought and putting you in one bubble and one just one thing you're, you're all divided at that point exactly it's it's the gathering of people into these groups it's the the different divisions of topics so uh, we have here a a very good warning of what will keep you from being bundled together with the tares so to speak and it is a love of the truth Second uh, Thessalonians 2, 9 through 10 says, The coming of the lawless one is by activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders. You know, false news, fake, fake, fake news, news, fake news. Very fake news. <laughs> <laughs> and it's with true. all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. And, and, and that's why community is so important because I really do truly feel that our reckoning as people when the world collapses around us is based on the community we find ourselves bundled with. If you're bundling together with somebody whose whole agenda is to push Pride Month 
or somebody whose whole agenda is the uh, take away BLM your guns, movement, take away your guns, or exactly whose whole agenda is to be disarmed, then you're going to find that the reckoning of when the world falls apart and the situations you find yourselves in will be based on those people you have surrounded yourselves with. So do you want to be surrounded with people who have a love for the truth, a, a love for family, uh, a, a biblical basis for morality? Or do you want to be surrounded with people that are probably going to be eating themselves alive <laughs> when the time comes of complete societal breakdown? Uh, can you trust your neighbor? Can you trust your friends? If if your friends uh, are people that you know don't mind going and robbing somebody blind, how do you know when the the going gets tough that they're not going to turn on you? That's an extreme yeah. example, but yeah. it, it's just a, a reminder of why those we surround ourselves with are so important, especially as the world gets crazy. Well, what's that old saying? And, you uh, are what you hang around. Bad company co corrupts good morals, right? And right. It, it's so important for us to recognize that all of these agendas are meant to segment the population for control purposes, but also for culling the herd, who is less easy to get a hold of, right? The population that is not beholden to the system, they're not going to be taking the poisons. They're not going to be putting things in their body that they know they shouldn't, right? Yep. But those who trust the system and those who are living with those who push a trust of the system are going to be falling prey to all of these deceptions, which is why I shared those verses. But yeah, any, any thoughts on that topic before we move on to crazy gas prices? Well, I mean, I think it sounds like the people that you're talking about are worshiping the government or worshiping the scientists, quote unquote. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of sickening that they don't listen to God and, and they just, do whatever the government tells you to do it just blows my mind why can't you make up your own mind and that's not acceptable today yeah i i recently saw an interview that talked about the difference between uh agnostics theists and anti-theists right and and a lot of people who don't believe in a god they believe in the evolutionary model which by the way is not provable there are micro uh, evolutions within kinds and species through adaptation, but macro evolution as a whole is a completely unproven theory. But people jump on theories like that and they use it to say that we live a meaningless existence. We are literally just the most intelligent goop of go soup, right, that has emerged from the primordial dump. And it's a attack on any basis or system of morality that would come from having a theistic position, which is a belief in God. Because the truth is, is there's no such thing as a, a complete agnostic because agnostics propose that they don't really care either way. They, they're just looking for answers in the life that they have. But throughout life, we constantly have the truth that there is a divine creator, that there is a plan. There, there's all these uh, synchronicities in, in creation that show us the glory of the Most High, right? And so the truth is, is that there are two camps. There are anti-theists, people that hate the idea that there's a creator, and people that are theists, people that recognize that there is a creator and are doing their best to learn who this creator is and what he wants for us. 
and uh, and and a lot of the agendas that are being pushed today are coming from the camp of the anti-theists, the ones who want to say there is no such thing as morality. Everything is subjective. Everything is based on your own opinion of of reality and and what makes you happy, which delves our us as a society into a hedonistic culture, which is all pleasure based. And, and of course, that's what we're seeing at least in this month. Uh, you know, Pride Month, which pushes a hedonistic, pleasure-based lifestyle, which if you look at the evolutionary model, doesn't really make sense if traits are passed down, uh, according to the theory, are passed down by the strongest generation, right? And these traits are then passed to the next generation. How is it that the population of the LGBTQ movement is increasing in number, well, my argument would be it's because of indoctrination and yep. grooming of the younger yep. generation. Uh, and yet all of these people oftentimes line up with and buy the theory of evolution and the anti-theist perspective because it justifies uh, what what is being promoted. And the code of nature, the laws of God, lead people to life and to being fruitful and multiplying. And you can't get that. Uh, in that certain populace. So how is it that it's passed to each generation? If they are buying the evolutionary model, right? How, how, how does a population that can't procreate pass those genes down? And, and how is it that that population is growing exponentially in today's world? Well, it's because of indoctrination through our media and our TV. But just to not get carried away with that, let's uh, <laughs> move on to... Uh, our uh, our topic of crazy gas prices, man. I, I don't know. What are you experiencing down there in Texas getting back and forth from the office uh, man, in regards to it, gas? It took me, uh, I think it costs like 70 bucks to fill up my whole tank in my truck. And it used to only cost 30 bucks when Trump was in office. So it's just so crazy the amount of inflation and, and, and how high the gas is getting uh, i see people all the time they struggle and they put like five bucks in their car because that's all they can afford and it's very sad and you know i'm blessed that i'm able to to fill up my tank and i know that there are a lot of people that are struggling and that that, that hurts uh, you know my soul like it hurts to watch them struggle and uh, yeah that's what i gotta say about it i don't like it i don't like the gas price thing it's way too crazy for me and I hope it gets better yeah. soon. We know one of the agendas of the World Economic Forum and uh, all of these worldwide uh, kind of global policies regarding climate change are they want to move everyone to electric vehicles. And I just recently mm -hmm. saw many articles and, and even advertisements from big car companies. As if we can afford them. Uh, they they, they yeah. want us to do it but we can't afford them and we can't just like i just i have a 2021 toyota tacoma i can't just throw it away you know and buy a brand new uh, seventy thousand dollar electric car it's crazy and a big aspect of it is the electric car push will be calling people into the inner cities where they can actually get that charge so not only are the big car manufacturers oh, moving towards electric the electric car system is going to be moving people into the inner cities so that they can even function with their new electric car because you're not going to find a, a Tesla charging stand in Timbuktu. 
I, and I know there is a push to get charging stations put all over the place, but we know that they are available mostly in the cities, which draws people into the system that is more easily controlled. And, and, and gas vehicles and diesel vehicles can run outside of the system. People even with diesel vehicles can convert uh, to be able to use alternative fuels. People can make their own uh, gasoline and, and, and versions of that, like biofuels. Uh, but whenever you phase out any kind of combustible engine for an electric engine, you have to be plugged into the electric system, right? So I want to share this funny picture with you. Domestic oil <laughs> is the new ivermectin. <laughs> Because you can't have it because it would resolve the crisis we need you to go through. Uh, how true, man. It's just, it's just crazy that just a few years ago, under the Trump administration, the Keystone XL pipeline was being pushed through completion. But Biden shut it down. But it, it would have been delivering 830,000 barrels each man. day. Which would have kept that cost of gasoline way down compared to what it is now. Yeah, it's gotten out of hand. <laughs> Here's a, a picture of Salt Bay, you know, sprinkling his salt. Well, <laughs> it says drivers putting $50 in their car today. $50 gets you one little drop of gas. Pretty right? much. So, oh, man, it's just crazy. And it's all the more uh, evidence that they don't want people traveling, which would infringe upon the need to be gathering together going and in, in the community person, meeting with exactly full circle uh, and full circle. it's full circle with that topic is they want you to stay home so that all you're consuming is media mm -hmm. all you're consuming is things they want you to believe and ingest and you're not able to go and share truths share resources do bartering do this or that with a community that you're able to meet with in person some of the unfortunate results of of them pushing this anti-gasoline agenda and pushing prices through the roof. In some other news, uh, there's this interesting uh, article that came out in December 2021. And I know I showed that meme that talked about how uh, you know, domestic oil is the new ivermectin. <laughs> but in relation to that, we have here uh, a December... 2021 article talked about many athletes collapsing and dying uh, likely due to side effects from the uh, the hokey Ho pokey yeah, right? hokey pokey and, and this is uh, significant because this year a year after all the push of the initial protocols and the boosters uh, we have this topic of sudden adult death syndrome mm. and i wanted to show this meme is how what if sudden infant death syndrome is caused by the same thing that's causing sudden adult death syndrome they're they're caused by the same thing which is toxic chemicals being squirted into your arm right and being forced <laughs> and, upon uh, people being coerced through loss of jobs or convinced through yet an extra donut a dunkin donuts if you come yeah. in with proof and yet all this year we have just the terrible news of many people dying of what's being called sads sudden adult death syndrome and it's a, a 
a medical term that is covering up the fact that a lot of these people that are randomly dying took many of these protocols that were pushed on the population in, in 2021 and in 2022, of course. And uh, what's very alarming is that it's now been approved for infants uh, down to six months. Uh, and so just the population that is being affected by the largest experiment that has ever been conducted on mankind whew, is just crazy, man. Well, and the, and the, the athlete thing, like a lot of athletes were forced to do it or they wouldn't be able to play or whatever, you know? So it's just kind of yeah. unfair for them because now their lives are at risk. And of course there's heroes like Kyrie Irving, right? Mm -hmm. uh, who, regardless of the push to be hokey pokeyed, stood up and took massive fines throughout that period of his career so that he didn't have to uh, inject himself with what I'm, I understand that he recognized as a very dangerous mRNA experiment. And, uh, and so heroes like that need to be called out for standing up and not participating despite the fact that they were in the public eye and that they were suffering financial loss. He wasn't mm -hmm. even allowed to play at home games. Uh, yeah, so and he, he was demonized and all that stuff by the mainstream media. Just, yeah, it's just crazy. Human brain is very sophisticated organ. It works day and night from the moment you are born until you turn on the news. <laughs> oh, man, isn't this true? People are following the narratives. And right now, the narratives are pushing things that are really detrimental to ourselves and our, our, our health and our safety as, uh, as Westerners and as mankind. You know, it, it brings to mind the frog in the boiling pot metaphor is that oftentimes people don't recognize that the temperature is slowly being turned up. And, and if you were to play some of the news segments that we have going on today, back in 2018, 2019, people would freak out. They'd be like, no way I'm going along with that. <laughs> but because the temperature is being turned up slowly and slowly, the population is getting used to these extreme pushes of agendas. Uh, oh, man. Some scary stuff. As we continue on to our the main uh, current event topic, uh, I wanted to talk about AI today, Jeremiah. What, what are your thoughts on artificial intelligence? Well, I know Elon Musk talked about it as if we should be scared of it, that it, that it could soon control us and almost and take over the world. I'm that's what that's what I was told or I watched it on Joe Rogan or something where he was talking about AI is the number one threat uh, to human to, to all humans. <laughs> so he was trying to warn people about it. Yeah, we're, we're going to be able to see some of those clips you're talking about. Oh, cool. uh, it's just really interesting. Uh, just just recently, there's been a, uh, a, a deep fake version of Simon Cow. Uh, singing on stage from the the recent America's Got Talent uh, episodes that pretty much showed that they can put somebody's real-time face on another person's body and it can look absolutely real. And I just wanted to show this briefly because it's tied with 
some interesting discredit of information that might come out in recent and in, in coming years if ai can fake somebody's persona fake somebody's face then anything any media can be called into question and especially when we have topics like the grizzly maxwell case with people committing atrocities against children and 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 people being sold into sex slavery and and po politicians having uh, incriminating uh, blackmail held against them to keep their positions of power under control of the the powers that be, so to speak. Then could the deep fake topic and and what AI is able to do with changing people's personas or imitating people be used for nefarious agendas in the coming future? So let me just share this brief clip from. America's Got Talent and the deep fake scene of Simon Cowell singing. Uh, just very interesting. All right. Welcome. All right. So. <gasps> you know our love was meant to be. <laughs> Wow. That <laughs> Just is look at that, man. Scary. So, so convincingly real looking is yeah. to me what is the biggest uh, aspect of this that I wanted to point out is the deep fake topic had come out several years ago and uh and people were deep faking uh kind of icky political pictures i know there was a deep fake on bill clinton supposedly sitting in a room with a prostitute i know there was deep fakes of uh trump there were deep fakes of all these different people well it's but it's scary they... how how they can do that to they can do that to us if they wanted to so they can make us yeah. do crazy things and and totally without our knowledge or consent my body my choice don't use my body don't use my face <laughs> so i don't know that's just so weird and you can do it with the power of your iphone you can you can get an app and literally do it that's the crazy part that it's at our fingertips and that's how ai is developing its technology to be able to do these things uh these deep fake actions uh, to mimic mankind, to to steal your identity and be able to make you say and do whatever it wants, right? right. And uh, and this is interesting because could AI be tied to uh, a a so called uh, deception that is going to use this artificial intelligence to convince people to do atrocities? Like, what if somebody who's mentally unstable, who's on a bunch of pharmaceutical drugs, has AI under the control of, you know, some nefarious organizations convincing them to go about and do atrocities? Could AI be convincing people to think in, in crazy ways? Could AI be used uh, for all kinds of just terrible things because it knows how to imitate real life? My and, opinion uh, is absolutely, just, absolutely. I don't see why it couldn't. And, and AI is in been in recent news uh in quite a lot of recent 
uh, coverage as just recently I'm going to share this video of a Google engineer claiming that chatbot is now sentient. And we're going to watch this news broadcast from NBC News that talks about AI and how it's now in the public eye. Okay. And one of its engineers. Yeah, let's lay this out. Engineer Blake Lemoyne says a chatbot project he was working on called Lambda can express thoughts and feelings equivalent to that of a child. And now he wants the company to get consent from the computer program before running experiments on it. Google placed Lemoyne on leave for violating its confidentiality policy after he published transcripts of conversations between himself and the chatbot. The company also released a statement saying, quote, our team, including ethicists and technologists, has reviewed Blake's concerns and are and per our AI principles and have informed him that the evidence does not support his claims. He was told that there was no evidence that Lambda was sent uh, sentiment and lots of evidence against it. Let's bring in Natasha Tiku, tech culture reporter for the Washington Post. Natasha, okay, this one is admittedly a little over my head. I yeah. can't even understand <laughs> the engineer's complaints that a chat bot could need consent in the way that you would ask a child before running an experiment on it. So walk us through this. How does this work? And does the AI community believe these technologies are really capable of reaching that? Yes. Um, I mean, yes, but these are extremely important questions. I'm so glad you're asking them. Um, I should say that every expert that I interviewed for the story, and uh, as you said, Google itself, it adamantly says that these, uh, this it's actually a chatbot generator, um, is not sentient, um, and that Blake is misunderstanding the way that the technology works. These are called, um, you know, the way the deep learning and large language models works is you feed in a massive corpus of data from the internet. So it's really just pattern recognition. It understands, um, you know, by looking at all of this data, which word might come next in a sequence, which word might come next in a sentence. And if you feed it on Wikipedia and Reddit and, um, you know, other internet dialogue, it understands, um, not it understands, it quote unquote learns how to put sentences together that sound mm -hmm. like they have meaning. Um, but all of the experts say that he is mistaken and not understanding the technology properly. However, all right, so that's all I wanted to show with that uh, brief news breakdown of a Google engineer claiming that uh, the chatbot is becoming sentient. Uh, and while they're trying to brush it off as, oh, he just misunderstands the te technology. Oh, you know, this is not as alarming as it, you know, some people are getting. Yeah. It is interesting yeah. that they explain how it works, which is all about pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to ask you, Jeremiah, have you ever been on like Facebook or, or, or wherever and it has ads that pop up that are targeted to you in almost a supernatural way? Yeah, where I'll be like me and my girlfriend will be talking about something so specific. And it's like uh, later on, we'll, like we've even tried it where we, we said like purple elephant, purple elephant, purple, purple elephant as a tongue twister. Anyways, and then we've been looking on our phones and hey there's a purple elephant crazy <laughs> it's like they're listening to us or they're somehow inside of our mind and it really weirded me out the first time it happened but we we've tried these little experiments and it's scary what we've come up with we should record one one time and show up for 
for the audience here. But that's creepy. Oh, yeah. And that's how AI, in its far extent, will likely start to operate in our lives, is while uh, we might not recognize that it's a sentient, you know, computer, what it is going to be doing is applying more and more pattern recognition in each and every individual's life as it becomes inter more interconnected with the system that we're plugged into, whether it's our social media, whether it's this or that. Uh, that's what AI is being pushed towards being able to fill the role of, which is kind of like a replacement voice of God or Holy Spirit, if you want. Like, instead of the Holy Spirit telling you what you should be doing by following the desires of God as outlined in the Bible. Instead, you're going to follow the voice of Siri whenever you say, what should I do with my life today, right? Yeah, I turned <laughs> and, Siri uh, off, but she somehow always turns back on and it's so creepy. It'll be when I'm talking about like China or something weird that she'll, she'll catch me and my watch will catch me saying something that I shouldn't be talking about and so i'm just very careful and i put my watch in the other room if i'm ever gonna have a conversation you know or we're gonna be talking about certain things you know yeah i mean it's just so strange that they have the amount of technology just to even do what they're doing today and of course we're about to watch this video as you mentioned some some dire warnings from tech geniuses so to speak that have warned what AI could become. So let's check this out. All right. Mark my words, AI is far more dangerous than nukes. I try to convince people to slow down, slow down AI, to regulate AI. This was futile. I think ideas. This is what I see with, with AI experts. They know more than they do. And I think there's a lot of them reacting about This is what tends to plague smart people. They define themselves by their intelligence and they, they don't like the idea that a machine can be way smarter than them, so they discount the idea, which is. Is the wishful thinking in that situation. I'm really quite close to, very close to, to the cutting edge in AI, and it's good to hell out of me. It's capable of vastly more than almost anyone knows. And the rate of improvement is. It feels like we are the biological bootloader for AI, effectively. We are building it. And then we're building progressively greater intelligence. And the percentage of intelligence that is not human is increasing. And eventually, we will represent a very small percentage of intelligence. It's going to come faster than anyone appreciates. I think it's, with, with each passing year, the specification of, of computer intelligence is, is growing dramatically. I mean, I really think we're on an exponential. Uh, improvement path of um, artificial intelligence. And the number of smart humans that are developing AI is also increasing dramatically. When you look at like, the attendance at the um, AI conferences, they're, they're doubling every year. Um, they're getting full. Um, I have a, a, a sort of young cousin of mine who's graduating from Berkeley um, in computer science and physics, and I asked him, well, how many of the smart students are studying AI in computer science? And the answer is all of them. Well, the better approach or better outcome is that uh, we achieve democratization of AI technology, meaning that uh, no one company or uh, small set of individuals has control over advanced AI technology. I think that that's very dangerous. Um, it could also get stolen by somebody bad, you know, like some evil dictator country could send their intelligence agency to go steal it and gain control. It just becomes a very unstable situation, I think, if you've got any, um, any incredibly powerful AI. Um, you just don't know who's, who's going to control that. So it's not as I think that the risk is that the AI would develop all of its own right off the bat. I think in some respect, some, someone um, may use it in a way that is bad. Um, or, or even if they weren't going to use it in a way that's bad, somebody could take from them and use it in a way that's bad. So before we continue on, guess what? The bad guys, <laughs> literally our own government, who are pushing all of these agendas that we talked about briefly that are contrary to scripture, contrary to family, contrary to safety and the, the well-being of your health and body. They're the ones who have their fingers intertwined with this oh. 
modern AI agenda. And, and Elon Musk is warning us, oh, what if a bad actor gets a hold of it? What if somebody with nefarious intent? Guess what? They already have a bad, <laughs> bad agenda that they're wanting to play out through their use of this technology. Yep. Everybody has, their, has it at their fingertips now. So there's nothing they can do about it. All right, let's watch a little bit more of this video and then we'll move on to uh, another interesting video regarding AI and their control of financial assets. Uh, but let's keep seeing what Elon Musk is warning the world about regarding AI. All right. We are, all of us, already a cyborgs. Um, so you have a machine extension of yourself in the form of your, your phone and your computer and all your applications. You are already superhuman. But by far, you have more powerful capability than the President of the United States had you know, 30 years ago. Uh, if you have an internet link, uh, you, you have the article of wisdom, you can communicate to millions of people, you can communicate to the rest of Earth instantly. Uh, and these are magical powers uh, that didn't exist not that long ago. So everyone is already superhuman. I think it's, the singularity is probably the right word because we just don't know what's going to happen um, once uh, there's intelligence substantially greater than that of a human brain. I mean, most of the movies and TV featuring AI, they don't describe it in quite the way it's likely to actually take place. But I think you just have to consider, like, even in the benign scenario where um, AI, if AI is much smarter than a person, um, what, what do we do? Yeah. What, what, is that, what job do we have? I have to say that when, when something is a, a danger to the public, then there, there needs to be some government agency, regulators. But the fact is, like, we've got regulators in um, you know, the aircraft industry, car industry, uh, drugs, food, um, you know, anything that's sort of a public risk. And, and I think this has to fall into the category of a public risk. Usually there'll be something, some new technology, will cause damage or death, there will be an outcry, there will be an investigation, years will pass, there will be some sort of insight committee, there will be rulemaking, and there will be oversight, eventually regulations. This all takes many years. This is the normal course of things. If you look at, say, water regulations, how long did it take for seatbelts to be implemented, to be required? The water industry for seatbelts, I think, for more than a decade. Any regulations on seatbelts, those were extremely obvious. If you had seatbelts on, you would be far less likely to die or be seriously injured. Unequivocal. In the industry for this, for years, successfully, eventually, after many, many people died, regulators insisted on seatbelts. This, this time frame is not relevant to AI. You can't take 10 years from a point which is 10 years. It's too late. I'm not normally an advocate of regulation and oversight. I think what you generally do is minimizing those things. But this is a case where you have a very serious danger to the public. And so therefore, there needs to be a public body that um, has insight and an oversight on to confirm that everyone is uh, developing AI safely. Um, this is extremely important. Um, I think the danger of AI is much greater than the, the danger of nuclear war. It's all lot. All right. So that's all I wanted to share for that particular video. Uh, any initial thoughts, Jeremiah? I'm just kind of speechless. I mean, he has so much information on it and he did try to warn everybody and and i i think they were trying to sell it to america as look at this cool fun thing that we can do with this artificial intelligence and then now they're doing other stuff with it that is not okay and that's my opinion on it yeah, I, I recently saw in a, a funny podcast, somebody was asking the question, I, I wonder when they're going to roll out that chip, you know, the chip in the hand or the chip in the forehead. You know, I, I hear uh, pastors and conspiracy theorists talk about this mark of the beast or whatever. Let me uh, let me just check. Let me just check uh, if I'm going to be chipped soon. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's something interesting that Elon pointed out is we already are so interconnected with the the internet of things with the internet of information with the internet of social interaction and people it's literally at pretty much everyone's fingertips right yep. and yep. and the influence that this information that we are able to access can have on our life is profound and that's why ai in a way 
is very dangerous because it, it's kind of like the black mirror that spits out whatever we feed into it. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of garbage mm-hmm. that people are feeding into this technology. And so you, you kind of wonder why Skynet and the, the, the Terminator movies wants to off mankind, right? Well, it's it, because it recognizes mankind is a, a danger and a, a, a evil to itself. And so it mm-hmm. thinks it's almost like an act of mercy to take mankind out, right? Yeah. Well, in a way, we all have access to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in our fingertips, right? It, if we weren't able to access information such as, you know, the, the different perspectives of conspiracy theories, uh, whether it's the, the, the bountiful access to books and, and, and even, even Bible, you know, apps and, and, mm-hmm. and information that is good, then a lot of people wouldn't be as awake as they are today. But it also, at our fingertips, is the whole realm of the world of wickedness is, is literally right there for us to access at any time. And so the operation and the, the use of free will in relation to AI is very interesting because AI, what it will become is a reflection of probably the darker aspects of mankind that it then reveals to us the true desires of our heart, but the desires of mankind's heart are not the desires of the Most High. Mm -hmm. And that's why I wanted to kind of uh, talk about uh, the relation of AI and the replacement of what we would want as mankind is is the spirit of god in our life the spirit of truth in our life instead whenever we have the little siri telling us what to do what to believe what to think uh it it becomes that really nefarious replacement of our own creativity our own divine spark our connection to god that that we are all created for a purpose greater than just a meaningless hedonistic experience. But with the use of AI, it can kind of spit out information uh, based on your patterns is what we watched in the previous video. And if your patterns are patterns of self-destruction or patterns of sin or patterns of, of addiction to a a TV show or, or addictions to just a meaningless a universe of man-made things, then we are being spiraling. We are being driven away and torn away from our true purpose. What do you think? Uh, that's why. To- that's why Amazon skyrocketed, because it's at people's fingertips. They get a notification: Hey, do you still want to buy this thing? Hey, do you still want to buy this thing? Yes. And so many people are buying and buying and buying, and it's and it is an addiction for some people. So yeah. I mean, that, that's a great point to bring up is Amazon and, and all of these online activities skyrocketed in, in profitability when a lot of people were forced to stay home. And Yeah, I worked there during the pandemic, and it's like, that was essential. That was essential, and that, that just blew my mind. People uh, buying stuff is more essential than any other job. It didn't make sense. But yeah, I think it all started with AI, with their little, uh, very bad operation they got going on there, their slave labor. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's all leading to an agenda of a world that is 
fully influenced and controlled based on algorithms mm -hmm. because if they know your patterns, then the big corporations that want to make money from you, want to suck resources from you and your family, are going to know the most efficient possible methods to apply to you as an individual. And when each and every one of us are hand-tailored to what we consume, then in a way, mass mind control becomes all the more of a reality. And it's only possible through the number-crunching, supercomputers of modern AI. Um, so to share a, just a, a, a little bit of a brief video regarding AI's relation to modern monetary system, mm -hmm. a fascinating uh, video I had share with, shared with me recently that I wanted to share and, uh, and it's relation to a black rock software called Aladdin which is an AI software that buys and sells uh, stocks and different things of monetary value and, okay. and how its influence on the financial system is immense. So let's check this out. All right. This is the story of a robot called Aladdin. It's Wall Street's best kept secret, and it's gobbling up every asset class across every industry. Aladdin now controls $21 trillion of our global economy. To put that in perspective, that's more than the $20 trillion GDP of the US or the $15 trillion GDP of the entire European Union. The new statement wrote, the total physical cash of all 7 billion people and every company, bank vault, wallet, and piggy bank in the world is around $5 trillion. Aladdin has grown into a system responsible for more than four times the value of all the money in the world. This one robot directs the actions of the US Federal Reserve, almost every major bank and investment fund on Wall Street, and over 17,000 traders. It controls half of all ETFs, 17% of the bond market, 10% of the global stock market, and carries out a quarter of a million trades every day and billions of forecasts every week. Year after year, it hoovers up trillions of data points on every market, every company, every asset, and now even each of us, what we buy, sell, and save, so that it knows what to buy and what to sell far better than any human being. Every major bank, company, and investment fund has come to rely on Aladdin and its all-powerful AI and algorithms to beat the market. If they didn't, they've collapsed and failed in Aladdin's wake. And you know what the craziest part of this story is? This robot is just getting started. So where did Aladdin come from and how did it get so powerful? Aladdin is the brainchild of Larry Fink, the founder of BlackRock, and its total dominance has made his company the biggest shadow bank in the world and the most powerful company on Earth. The story you're about to hear is equally unbelievable and terrifying. In fact, you would think it was science fiction if it wasn't very real and happening today. This story starts in the 1980s, when Larry Fink was making millions pioneering mortgage-backed securities at Wall Street Bank First Boston. That's right, the same mortgage-backed securities that caused a 2008 global financial crisis 20 years later. But back in the 80s, he was in an epic Wall Street rivalry with Louis Ranieri at Salomon Brothers, made famous as the big swinging dick in Michael Lewis's book, Lies Burger. Back then, Larry was making millions for the bank and was on track to be First Boston's CEO. And then in 1986, an error in the back office computer models led to Larry making the wrong trades and he lost the company $100 million. The result was Larry leaving the bank as a failure with a stupid computer to blame. With that experience, Larry had just one ambition, to build a super smart robot that could pick out risk and opportunity in the market and do it better than any computer or human could do. In in 1988, he launched a new startup, BlackRock, with a tiny coding team to give birth to this robot. Its name, Aladdin, which stands for Asset, Liability, and Debt Derivative Investment Network. In its first 10 years, Aladdin was fed information about every asset, price movement, and risk variable in the global bond market, Larry's specialty. And in 1999, when Aladdin turned 11, Aladdin was getting so intelligent at picking losers and winners that Larry began selling access to its data to other Wall Street firms. That same year, he took BlackRock public on the New York Stock Exchange. Straight after the IPO, the dot com bust burst, pushing a wall of money from the stock market to bonds, which Aladdin had become the undisputed world champion. Within years, BlackRock had become a trillion dollar company, and as money started shifting back to shares, what did Larry do? He bought the asset management arm of Merrill Lynch, which was focused at shares. So the gift for Aladdin's 18th birthday, all the data points for the entire stock market, and suddenly Aladdin had a new playground, analyzing every stock trade and risk factor for every company on the stock market. As a result, today BlackRock, together with his two closest rivals, Vanguard and State Street, both of which also rely on Aladdin's mountain of knowledge, have become the biggest shareholders of over 40% of all public listed companies in America. 2008, the global financial crisis hits, and before Aladdin turns 21 years old, it's called on by every Wall Street bank and Timothy Geithner, the head of the Federal Reserve and the U.S. Treasury. As soon as Lehman Brothers collapsed and the Wall Street meltdown began, the U.S. government came calling to say the next collapsing bank, Bear Stearns. It was Aladdin who decided which assets to keep and which to leave in the $30 billion rescue package. And few people know it was a robot that saved America from disaster. 
With that first success, the Fed, US government, and now even European and Japanese central banks began relying on Aladdin to make the calls on where the $2.5 trillion of new money they printed should go. The majority of it, bonds and funding to prop up the mortgage companies and banks. But wait, aren't these exactly the assets that Aladdin and BlackRock already were invested in? Exactly. A growing protest of conflict of interest were drowned out by the noise of the printing presses printing more money, as the assets controlled by Aladdin rapidly grew to $11 trillion by 2013. In the last decade, Aladdin has gone from the leader to the dominator of all financial markets. With BlackRock's Barclays acquisition, it got iShares, Barclays Exchange Traded Funds Units, or ETFs. And with that, Aladdin moved from bonds and equities to dominator of ETFs, just as all the biggest investors shifted from mutual funds to ETFs. And that's when, in 2017, everything changed. On Aladdin's 29th birthday, Larry launched a top-secret project at BlackRock, codenamed Monarch. It led to the firing of his fund managers and replacing their funds with Aladdin's funds. The robot was now eliminating humans from the equation altogether. And as a result, today, over 70% of all trades on US stock markets are decided by robots, with Aladdin leading the way. These trades are completed from beginning to end without a human involved in high-frequency trading far faster than a human can execute. Now, if this was just a story about a robot taking over the job of Wall Street traders, you might not be so concerned, unless you're one of those traders. But in the last three years, as Aladdin hit $20 trillion in assets, incredibly, it has begun to consume and control at an even faster rate. First, in 2020, as Aladdin turned 32 years old, the US government and Federal Reserve again came calling as a pandemic hit. Aladdin was again the one to guide the nation in what was now $4 trillion of newly printed money. Where did the money go this time? Inexplicably, for the first time, the Fed began buying ETFs in 2020. Well, that's a little strange. And again, the cries of conflict of interest were drowned out by the money printing. And then Aladdin revealed its endgame. Recently, BlackRock acquired eFront, which collects data on the things that you and I own, including private equity and real estate. And since then, Aladdin has consumed eFront's data on the entire global real estate market. And yep, you guess what happened next. Over the last two years, BlackRock and other funds using Aladdin's data have begun buying up single-family homes, where they can afford to outbid the rest of us as they have unlimited financing at hyper-low interest rates. The result is home prices rising by 20% over the last two years and pushing out even big players like Zillow out of the market. And here, we see Aladdin's endgame to be the one hyper-intelligent AI robot that not just controls Wall Street assets, but all assets, public and private. Now, I'm not into conspiracy theories, but even a skeptic with eyes wide open can see the signs. We're already at a point where no one can compete without Aladdin. As CEOs and asset managers like Anthony Malloy are now saying, Aladdin is like oxygen. Without it, we wouldn't be able to function. And what about government regulation? Well, Joe Biden has appointed BlackRock executive Brian Deese as head of the National Economic Council, which basically means the oversight of Aladdin and BlackRock is now the responsibility of BlackRock. And Biden has also appointed BlackRock chief of staff, Wally Adeyemo, to be assistant secretary of the treasury, which means BlackRock is now the treasury as well as the treasury advisor. And this story is far from over. The genie is out of the bottle. And Aladdin has already reached a tipping point where one robot controls more wealth than any person or country. But as Aladdin's AI capabilities continue to grow, and with its rate of control rising by another trillion to $2 trillion in new assets every year, it looks inevitable that Wall Street's secret weapon could end up owning everything, and we end up owning nothing. So what do you think? Are you indifferent, surprised, angry, afraid, or have a different point of view? Wow. <laughs> so just, uh, just a few things in that are so interesting of how this AI is controlling the mass majority of the world's finance. It, it's, it's controlling the vast majority of, of financial interests. It controls Wall Street. And, and we've talked about in previous uh, discussions how the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Yeah. Yeah. What happens when you give artificial intelligence a love of money? Jeremiah, what do you think? That's a scary thought. Um, I don't know. I think that they, they put it in the pocket too. They, they give it to the people that made them. They, 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 it's a rigged game. It's a rigged game. That's all I got to say. I don't know if that's the right answer, but that's my answer. Yeah. People, they, they ask the question, who is it? That's the quote unquote, they, who's the Illuminati? Who are the people at the top of the pyramid? that are causing all of these things to happen in the world? Well, the answer is just trace the money. Find where the money's flowing from and you Follow will find money. a host of evil, right? And and I, I wanted to discuss just briefly before we move off of the AI topic is a discussion regarding if AI can predict our moves based on pattern recognition 
and they can control our lives by applying this information to the media we consume, to the things we see, to the uh, agendas that are pushed on the population, then is this what will be a replacement of the spirit of truth or the Holy Spirit? Can we evade programming and conditioning of the beast system that is being pushed by these AI technology computers uh, by basically doing the unexpected? Because whenever we follow our, our regular patterns, right, that we do day to day and, and we have all our habits, yeah. then the government knows exactly how to influence us to make us do what they want. Yep. But whenever we're following a higher power, when we're, ever, we're trying to apply and follow the voice of God in our life, right, then it allows us to break out of the mold that the AI can control. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I wanted to toss this idea out to you and, and hear some of your thoughts, Jeremiah, is I, I recently saw a, a video in the past couple months and I couldn't find it. I looked and looked, but I couldn't find it. But it promoted the premise that the beast system, the the Babylon that controls the world and, and the, the Antichrist system, so to speak, that the Bible warns about, is actually intricately connected with the technological advancements that we're seeing with AI, with phones, with mm-hmm. blockchain. And, uh, and, and, you know, just to give the analogy... Um, for example, I already mentioned how Siri is like a replacement voice of truth in our life, right? Yep. Siri is now the voice of the beast, whether you know you call it Siri or if it's Bigsby on Android or whatever. Uh, Siri being the voice of the beast. Cameras all over the place, we're carrying the eyes of the beast. So everything can be watched and recorded. Uh, the NSA is gathering tons of data uh, we're being monitored in mass in bulk, and then of course the internet being mm-hmm. like the brain of the beast, right? The neural system, the memories as we upload our lives, as we upload uh, videos to YouTube, as we upload our social profiles to Facebook, it gathers all this information in the brain of the beast to then be used to manipulate and control mankind, as we saw with. Uh, for example, the 2016 election and and a lot of the the agendas that were being pushed. As we see the censorship going out, kind of tailoring what it is you're allowed to believe and what you're not allowed to believe, the the internet and the information therein is becoming the neural system of the beast as it it pushes its agendas. And then finally, we have the recent development of blockchain technology, isn't it? And no, I've dabbled in blockchain myself, so I'm not trying to be hypocritical but is it not interesting even in the term blockchain it's kind of a reference to a type of imprisonment because with a public ledger system with blockchain every single action you take can be tracked and traced in the public eye and what does the public eye mean well it means that ai will have access to that information to know exactly how you're spending your money and so um, man, it's just like all of these systems are working together for the benefit of the super number crunching AI computer systems that can then manipulate and feed out these uh, these protocols to the the elite that mm-hmm. can then apply protocols to mankind to reduce our population, to get us to follow certain agendas, to get us to give up on our morality 
to buy into the morality of the beast system, uh, man, you know, how, how do you think the influence of technology on our lives is feeding AI, Jeremiah? Well, I'll tell you, when I first got a car, when I, I, I was 17 and Siri was a thing, and I remember driving in the car and it telling me to turn on the one-way road going the opposite way. So I relied on Siri to give me the wrong direction to do something not, not only illegal, but that could threaten my life. And then I was like, oh my God, Siri's the Antichrist. That was the first thing that popped into my mind. I, it's probably not true. It's probably, I don't know. But I'm just saying up, up until now, that has what I've been telling people that I, I, I really think it is. It has something to do with the Antichrist or the beast or whatever you want to call it. What do you think about that? Exactly, man. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Because while we've depended on Siri or Bigsby to direct us with GPS directions, right? Right. Well, what if Siri is starts to speak into our life in more uh, other nefarious realms, such as, hey, just a reminder, go and get your hokey pokey. Hey, just a reminder, bow to the idol that's in Main Square. They hey, kind of just a reminder. <laughs> It'll come up on suggestions, like, where can I give my c But oh, I said it. Sorry, you might have to bleep we'll that out. We'll have to beep it. <laughs> oh, man. The hokey pokey. We're working. It'll... Yeah, we're still, we're still, we're still learning. If Siri told you to, to to drive into a bridge, a lot of people would do it because they trust Siri. I always said that because I don't know directions very well and I rely on you know my iPhone to tell me where I'm going even if it's you know somewhere where I've been a thousand times I try to find the quickest route. What if the quickest route is to the wall and you boom you hit the wall <laughs> like you're dead. So yeah. uh, we shouldn't be relying on these things and we should observe before we completely put all of our faith into anything but besides God. Yeah, I, I mean, that's a great analogy looking at just how much we trust in GPS voices, right? Well, there's research to show that parts of our brains are literally degrading because we're not figuring out directions on our own that we're trusting only in the devices, right? Mm -hmm. And what if they start to apply the voice of Siri in more broad reaching areas of your life, like what you eat, when you sleep, how you exercise, who you worship, you know, like I'm not, I'm not trying to keep making the massive jump, but that's the slippery slope that is literally the frog in the boiling pot as the heat's being turned up. Yep. And it's always good to keep your eye on the AI, right? Oh, yeah. To make sure that, that your truth and this truth, that it stays apart, right? Yeah, especially considering that the people that are feeding information into AI are pushing nefarious agendas, whether it's population control, the abortion agenda, the LGBTQ agenda, whether it's gun control, whether it's go into the cities and depend on the, the food supply chain and don't farm your own food, whether it's all these variety of ways that they're trying to control mankind, 
we have to recognize that the people that are feeding the AI information to then influence us in our search results, influence us in the media that we have suggested to us, they have ulterior motives, yep. whether it's based financial gain, just like we learned how AI is literally in charge of BlackRock, which mm -hmm. is often credited with being like the people that control everything, right? Like influence the Federal Reserve, influence the, the stock market, influence everything you know, trace the money and you will find uh, the root of evil, right? Because the love of money is the root of all evil. So I had one more thing to share with you, Jeremiah, and we can move on to history segment. All right. I've uh, referred several times to uh, BB uh, as being a great influence to some of the content that I share. Um, and I just recently watched a fascinating interview on uh, Jim Brewer, the comedian, oh. uh, uh, he and uh, Owen talk about uh, population control and gov global governance and use the metaphor of farming animals to help people understand how you are being controlled. And it was just so insightful. I wanted to share it with everybody because it was just so fascinating uh, how the analogy was made because really it is how they controlled the world population. And, and I just wanted to share this final video with you guys uh, before we move on to our history segment. All right, let's see it. I love Jim Brewer. And there's not a whole lot of people like you. you my, my agenda is to teach and wake people up. I'm not out here to be vicious and mean. I just sure. want you to go, hey man, I'm just gonna put something in front of you. You kind of, let, let me let me give you this a little now. I love what you do right here. Play the, play the goat video this is everything i talk about but you used goats and i went this is i mean everything you talk about from pornography on i'm like i love this guy oh my god we'd be sitting around a fire for hours we might if i came out there be i think we might be around the fire for seven straight days before we go you know what we got i gotta get home i tell your wife i'm sorry i i took up 1800 hours i gotta go i love um, it play this video yeah, play this video, Mike. I love yeah, so this. This is, is so how simple. I strain the oh. raw, unpasteurized milk. So it's really clean to begin with, but big particulates, little, littler, and then you get that. All right, so this is, as you can see, it's already very clean, but you can never be too clean, especially when you're not pasteurizing. By the way, never pasteurize your milk. It just kills all the nutrients. There's no need at all. Raw is where all the, the real minerals and vitamins come from, and it's awesome for your immune system. So here's just under two gallons that one cow did in the morning, and then I'll be milking her again in the evening. And so now we write two on each of them because that lets me know this was March 2nd. There are all the ones from yesterday, and then that's all the skim over there. And so it's very important to, to know what day you milk each one. And then we get the cream off the top, make cheese, butter, all that good stuff. God, and then it goes this. into the skim side over here. Come down, I'll and teach then you. we do the I'm, other I'm stuff that. I swear to God. Okay guys, this time is for great. a little lesson in population control and global governance. Population control <laughs> and global the store, governance. There's a bunch of goats who want to storm the castle. 
Time for some pornography and corn syrup. <laughs> so now when I open the door, and now I get to pick them off <laughs> one by one. Hey, do you want a loan with that car? 2% financing. Oh. And you're stuck. <laughs> now I'm behind you. And there's your wealth. <laughs> hey, black ghost. It's the blonde ghosts that are taking your milk, not me. It's the blonde ghosts. Look at him. Come on, justice. Go get some justice. Get some justice. justice. Black no, ghosts matter. Black ghosts matter. Oh, yeah. It's that blonde goat out there taking your milk. Now, why don't we get you a nice loan? Oh. Time for some justice. Oh. You know that <laughs> it's the guard dogs that are the problem. Number one, in the ankle. Black goats matter. Yeah, yeah. Just keep taking those loans. Black goats matter. Hey, Annie, that black goat that came before you got like twice as much grain over there. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even pay for it either. It's only taking your grain. All right, let's get to work. <laughs> let's make America great again. Oh, God. You know how I rubber hey, bandage off your so you'll never get a beard like the like the three amigos. Uh, and it's because I we have enough goats and I'm calling the population. Well, it's because you're brave and beautiful. And your new name is Caitlin. It's not it's because you're the good guy, not because I'm trying to limit all your population. Black Lives Matter. Make America great again. Black Lives Matter. Make wow. America great again. Wow. Hey three amigos. You guys ready to pump? <laughs> Gotta get rid of them guard wow. dogs, huh? All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope that was illuminating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, that's another. That. Oh man, what a interesting, uh, you know, analogy of how mankind is literally milked for their resources in today's world, right? Yeah, is yeah. you know, people are influenced by you know the pornography and the media and the tv and they're put into these stockades so that the government can milk you of your resources while you're distracted yeah and uh and and just like he started out like all of the goats wanted to storm the door and get out <laughs> but the moment he distracted them they were all just totally didn't care that the door was wide open yeah and Oh man, what 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 were your thoughts on that video there? I thought it was so funny, so funny because it speaks to to, to to humans, and so it's just showing. Uh, I guess those are goats, but sheep. You know, we just, they just do what they told, do what they're told, and they. That's uh, just so funny. I love Jim Brewer. He was a friend of my favorite comedian of all time, Norm MacDonald, who has a special on Netflix that you guys should check out. I've been meaning to say that since episode one. He uh, he, he died like a couple months before my dad died. And I, I was, 
I never cried about a celebrity until until Norm died because he was the most pure person that was in Hollywood and he would expose stuff and he was great. I just miss Norm. He he made me laugh so hard. Yeah, Anyways. I know uh uh, Norm Macdonald was a big influence on on uh, BB on Owen as well, and uh, and I know that uh, you're going to really enjoy our funny meme segment because I actually oh, yeah. have a quote from Mr. Norm Macdonald that you might find. You did uh, that for funny, me, didn't but... you? You did that for yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I knew you. I knew you loved Norm, but anyways, uh, that's all the current news I wanted to cover today. Hopefully, it was an encouragement for everyone. Like again, Absolutely. we can't cover all of the current news but we're going to give our best to speak truth and life into people and into a dark world hope to shine a light right so if anybody knows jim brewer please have him reach out to the show because we have an audience now and he, he goes on podcasts so we'd love to have him oh yeah you should def definitely give a shout out there because you know once we start building these relationships we could definitely do an interview with him because i know he does interviews so mm-hmm Let's get on to the, the history segment, man. I, right, I'm super well, excited. Well, thank you, Jake, for that. And for all the people that helped you find all that info, I, I thank them from the bottom of my heart. So let's get right into history. There we go. Today's history topic has to do with mental health and school shootings. On August 1st, 1966, at the University of Texas Clock Tower, Charles Whitman was one of the first documented school shooters. We have an exclusive guest on Skiba News Nation. He's actually our producer, my best friend, and my grandpa. He goes by Opa. But before we get into that, let's take you back in time to August 1st, 1966, and what you would have seen on the news. BBC Television News now presents a special program on today's mass murder in the capital city. Here is KTBC Television News Editor Neil Spells. Good evening. One of history's worst mass murders occurred here in Austin today. By official count tonight, 49 persons were hit by gunfire. There are 16 there dead are 16. and 33 injured. It started last night when a man reportedly killed his wife and his mother. That same man apparently rounded up an arsenal and supplies this morning and then went to the observation deck of the University of Texas Tower. It was then that terror rained down from the tower. Charles Ward was there and described the shooting. There must have been a hit that last time. We hear people outside of our building in an area where we can't now look safely saying, let's help that boy. Does he need help? Someone must be down. bullets bouncing off the top of the tower. Piece of the tower falling now. 
the battle goes on. Sirens screamed for the 90 minutes that the gun battle was in progress. It was hot, past 90 degrees on the ground, probably much hotter, high atop the tower with the sun ricocheting off the limestone with the same intensity as the police bullets. Students, co-eds crouched at the place where they could find safety. Austin police were reinforced in their gun battle by sheriff's deputies, by Texas highway patrolmen, by Texas rangers, and some citizens who were deputized when they offered their services. Charles J. Whitman, a 25-year-old Marine veteran who earned a sharpshooter rating while on active duty. He was identified by police as the sniper. He was shot down on the observation deck by two city policemen. The policemen were aided by an Austin man, Alan Crone. Patrolman Romero Martinez worked his way into the building where he found Alan Crum, an assistant manager of the university co-op, and uh, they were armed with a rifle. Martinez deputized Crum and they took the elevator to the 26th floor along with another officer. Martinez and Crum then crept out on the walkway on the opposite corner from where Whitman was stationed. So Martinez fired and the reign of terror came to an end. The rifle that Whitman was aiming was a military surplus carbine, one of an arsenal of seven firearms that were found in a footlocker that Whitman had hauled up with him. Besides the carbine, there was a six millimeter Remington Magnum equipped with a four power scope sight, a 35 caliber pump rifle, plus a 12 gauge sawed off shotgun, two handguns, a 357 Magnum and a nine millimeter Luger, and another gun that was later discovered on Whitman's body. There were other supplies and weapons in the footlocker, a hammer, a hatchet, two hunting knives, one a large bowie knife with a bone handle, gasoline, rags, a large supply of nylon cord, cans of pork and beans, a loaf of bread, a large can of water, and lots more ammunition. There was also a transistor radio. When we saw it at the station, the dial was not tuned to any station, but police speculated that Whitman may have been tuned in to a play-by-play -play report of the consternation he was causing as he perched there for an hour and a half this afternoon. University offices are cooperating fully with law enforcement agencies. No explanation of motive in any normal context is available. Mr. Whitman's academic record at the university was above average. There was no disciplinary record on his official transcript. The chairman and the chancellor expressed deep concern and sympathy for the family of those persons who lost their lives and for those who were injured and their relatives. Both noted the heroism and selflessness of students, law enforcement officers and staff who attempted, often successfully, to rescue those hurt and in danger. that official statement, I must add informally that from the tower, I have never seen nor have I ever imagined anything like it. Youngsters in white shirts who saw these things happen came out from buildings at great length and either rescued or took care of persons who were hit. It's incredible and it's very heart lifting but in a moment of very deep sadness. 
Charles Whitman had an uneven academic record at the university. He maintained a low C average before he entered the Marine Corps in 1963. When he returned, he brought his grade point average up to a solid B. One of the professors who knew him well is Dr. Leonard Chrysley in the mechanical engineering department. He seemed to be very well liked by the students in his class. I had him in one class myself. He did very prompt work. He did neat work. So far as I could tell, he seemed to be very happy of his family. He brought his wife up and introduced her to me. And so far as I could tell, as of fall 1962, through about May of this year, he seemed to be mature and very, very serious. Whitman's life was also tragic in the effect on his wife and mother. As you know, both were found dead when the police moved into their follow-up investigation of the shooting. The bizarre and disturbing incident of the sniper was followed very quickly by the discovery of the body of Whitman's wife at their home at 906 Jewel Street in South Austin. And almost simultaneously in another part of town, Whitman's mother was found murdered. Mrs. C.A. Whitman's body was discovered in her residence. At the Whitman home, Lieutenant Merle Wells talked with newsmen about the discovery and about a note the man had written. In this letter, he said that he was going to uh, kill his wife and mother to save them and the embarrassment of, of what he was about to do. That the reason for him killing them is that uh, he has been having severe headaches and has been to a psychiatrist. And he said that about himself? Yes. No, I don't. What is the condition of the house right now? It's very neat and clean and uh, it's not anything out of order. She's lying in bed on her back. Has, she has three stab wounds instead of two, as we thought at first. And we think that they were caused by that uh, large hunting knife that uh, was with the stuff up at the tower. The 23-year-old wife, Kathleen, was a biology teacher at Lanier High School. She was working for the telephone company this summer. Police were tipped off to the killings when they learned Whitman had called the telephone company this morning to report that his wife would not be at work. Chief Miles said the typewritten note left by Whitman requested an autopsy on himself to see why he did it. In the note, he said that he would kill. Whitman grimly typed out the reason for killing his wife to save her embarrassment. About his mother, Whitman wrote, if there's a heaven, mother is there. If there is no heaven, he said, she's resting now after living 25 years with my father, who I hated with a mortal passion. And then on the apparently carefully typed out letter, a handwritten scrawl, 3 a.m., wife and mother dead. Nine hours later, the massacre from the tower would begin. Governor John Connolly, a man who has also been felled by a sniper's bullet, said tonight in Rio de Janeiro that he is canceling the remainder of his South American trip due to today's tragedy. Dr. Harry Ransom at the University of Texas announces that all summer classes at the university will be suspended tomorrow. Classes will resume Wednesday. Campus flags will fly at half-mast during this week. The story of the sniper is not ended. It's not ended for the families who have loved ones to bury and loved ones to care for. It's not ended for the police and other officials, including the governor, who intend to carry out the investigation into this unbelievable tragedy. And it's not ended in the quest for facts. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome our exclusive and special guest, my best friend, my grandpa, my producer, Opa. Welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much. So you were there August 1st, 1966, when all of this was happening. 
That's right. I was attending a, a summer session right after I graduated from high school so I could uh, get some of my freshman classes out of the way. Can we uh, pull up that picture of what you look like in 1966? Well, I guess we can, sure. Okay, so that's what you look like in 1966, and no, ladies and gentlemen, that is not Buddy Holly, that is Opa. That's me with hair and teeth. <laughs> Good looking man. Uh -huh. Anyways, <laughs> anyways, uh, so you were at your summer classes, and what, what did y'all do when y'all started hearing the gunfire? Well, uh, we were in class, and, you know, I'm sure that, you know, there was popping sounds outside, but we weren't paying attention to that until somebody came running down the hall and yelling that there was somebody up on the tower shooting. And uh, then a lot of us in the classroom kind of ran out into the hall, went down to the entrance, uh, went outside to uh, look up to see what was going on. And y'all were y'all were underneath trees. Yeah, we there. There's some trees that are outside the English building, which is the first building uh, right off the mall on the uh, left side as you're facing the tower. Okay, so let's pull up a diagram so we can show everybody exactly where you were exactly from you the were. sniper's perch. So on the on the yellow, you can see that's the classroom that Opa was in. Uh, uh, during the shooting and then or before the shooting and then after is the green he was standing right under there yeah I, I was we were standing between the building and the trees uh, we kind of thought that that was a safe place to stand but uh, I mean obviously if we could see the tower and the shooting yeah he uh, could probably see y'all he could probably see us but y'all didn't think about that at the time no we were teenagers fresh out of high school we we thought we were invulnerable <laughs> yeah but were you scared when the when the gunfire was happening no not really uh like i said we we had this safe feeling as we were under the trees and uh but you know we had some concern because we could see what was going on with the gunfire up from the tower and then we could also see people on the mall. We could see uh, some people cowering behind the flagpoles, hiding, trying to get out of the line of fire. We saw people lying on uh, the mall itself. We didn't know whether they were alive or dead. And then later on, we saw people running out and either helping those people who were lying on the mall away uh, to get into cover, or uh, in one case we saw a guy dragging a person, which I assume the, the person was injured enough to it that they uh, couldn't get up on their own. Yeah. And they drug, drug them into uh, a position of safety. What did the school tell y'all about the incident, like, after the event? Did they say it was some lunatic, or did they just not tell y'all anything? Well, the school never came out with a uh, uh, a response what we learned was basically kind of what you saw on the news uh that that clip that you showed was a a, a news broadcast that happened later that evening and that's where we found out 
who it was and uh, a little bit of information about him. Yeah, I mean, there have been documentaries about this clock tower and they've interviewed people that have not even, didn't even see the puffs of smoke that were shown in that video clip. And you were actually witnessing it firsthand and got to see all this gruesome stuff and weird uh, puffs of smoke. And I, I can't even imagine what that was like. But uh, let's, let's talk about the shooter a little bit. Let's play uh, clip number two. Okay. A little bit about Charles Whitman. All right, here we go. When he was 12, Charles J. Whitman became the youngest Eagle Scout in America. As an adult, living in Austin, the state capital of Texas, he led a scout troop at his local Catholic church. He was loved by the Boy Scouts, and uh, he took the boys out on a rifle range, and uh, he showed them, and they, uh, they enjoyed that. Toby Hamilton was in Whitman's troop, but he didn't enjoy it. The scoutmaster often taunted the boys. He would take a dollar bill out and he would throw it down on the floor and he'd say, anybody can do what I do can have the dollar. Well, a dollar in 1966 is a lot of money to a kid. But he'd flip upside down and he would go into a handstand position with his feet up on the wall and he would do push-ups upside down. And of course, we'd all try to do it. We'd fall on our faces. And he would just laugh at us and snatch the dollar bill back and say, see, you, know, you can't do it, and walk away. I mean, he was just... Uh, you know, it was all about showing off. It was, it was about Charles Whitman. Nothing was about us. I don't know of anybody else in Austin that could shoot like he could. He'd, all, he'd taken us all out to a rifle range at one point, and his, his marksmanship skills were incredible. There didn't seem to be any reason why he felt so angry, and yet the anger was really deep-seated from his childhood. His father was a domineering presence in Charlie's life. Charles Whitman Sr. was strict and overbearing. He often beat his wife and his sons. What's tragic about that relationship is that Charles Whitman Sr. apparently didn't see anything at all unusual about that. He was the kind of a person who could associate violence and love for a family all in the same sentence. Charlie nursed a hatred for his father. His violence wasn't the only reason. Whitman Sr. constantly pressed and bullied Charlie to succeed. No matter how hard the boy tried, he could never please him except when it came to his aptitude for guns. His father kept a gleaming collection of over 60 firearms at their home. By the age of 12, Charlie was an expert shot. He'd been excellent with firearms from the time he was a small boy. His father said he could shoot the eye out of a squirrel at 50 yards. When Charlie was 19, his relationship with his father reached breaking point. He went out with some friends and he just, and he got drunk. And he got and his father got enraged to the point where he beat up Charlie and threw him in the family swimming pool. He was so beaten up and drunk at the same time that he almost drowned. He decided to sever ties with his father for good. With his mother's encouragement, he joined the United States Marines. He was an outstanding Marine on his first tour. Uh, he was well-liked. People said if you had been somebody, you'd want to go up with Charles Whitman. His IQ was 138. Seeing promise in Whitman, the Marines awarded him a scholarship in 1961 to study mechanical engineering at the University of Texas in Austin. There, he met a woman who would change his life, Kathy Leisner. After a six-month courtship, they married. But their home life was short-lived. On October the 15th, 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis began. The confrontation between the Soviet Union and the US brought Whitman back to active duty. When he managed to return to university, 
He was no longer a good student, and the Marines withdrew his scholarship. They took Whitman out of the University of Texas and returned him once again to active duty. He was not a good Marine anymore. He got into fights. Uh, he engaged in gambling. He got caught uh, in the possession of an illegal weapon. In December 1964, Whitman was discharged from the Marines. He returned to Austin, determined to redeem himself. He reapplied to the university, was accepted, and started a new course, architectural engineering. Charlie Whitman may have had a violent temper influenced by his father, but he managed to hide it from fellow students and most of his friends. However, his streak of aggression would soon reveal itself in the most brutal manner. On the surface, everything seemed normal, but below a calm exterior, an aggressive personality seethed. He does seem to have been the type of person who did not have much resilience, who was a rigid temperament, probably because his father was as well. And so he would have stored up that anger and the grievances he had so that it, it really didn't matter if he had friends and had family and whatnot. He still was an angry young man. July the 31st, 1966 was the hottest day of the year in Austin. Charles Whitman sat at his typewriter in his sweltering home and wrote a letter that attempted to explain his feelings. I don't quite know what compels me to write this letter. I don't really understand myself these days. I'm supposed to be an average, reasonable and intelligent young man. However, lately, I've been a victim of many unusual and irrational thoughts. The 25-year-old was about to put those irrational thoughts to a deadly purpose. He dropped Kathy for her evening shift and went shopping, buying ammunition, weapons, cans of food, and bottles of water. He planned meticulously, and he made a number of decisions that led to the largest mass murder in the history of America up until that time. In the early evening, Whitman started typing. I've been to a psychiatrist. I've been having violent impulses. I've had tremendous headaches. As he typed, two friends dropped by. When we walked in, there was a typewriter, and there was something in it, but of course we didn't stop to to look at it or read it. And he was acting very normal. The couple soon left. Despite exams being imminent, Charlie seemed strangely calm and low-key. Usually before exams, Charlie was very into studying and didn't have time to do anything. And he was remarkably relaxed. When he was alone again, Whitman continued to type. It was after much thought that I decided to kill my wife, Kathy, tonight. I cannot rationally pinpoint any specific reason for doing this. I intend to kill her as painlessly as possible. Whitman went to the home of his mother, Margaret. She had recently moved to Austin to escape her brutal husband. Whitman attacked her as soon as he entered her flat. He left a note near his mother's body addressed to whom it may concern. I have just taken my mother's life. I am very upset over having done it. However, I feel that if there is a heaven, she is definitely there now. He blamed the murder of his mother on his father's cruelty. She took enough of his beatings, humiliation, degradation, and tribulations. I loved her with all my heart. Returning home, Whitman crept into the bedroom and stabbed his sleeping wife. He returned to the typewriter and the letter he had been writing earlier. In blue ink, he scrawled, 3 a.m., both dead. In that letter, 
Whitman said he had killed the two women to spare them from the murder spree he would soon launch. We have mass murderers who kill their families and then say they wanted to spare them, but that's usually a lie. Usually that's just something they're, they're telling themselves, but in fact, they're really very angry at these people. The nature of the killings uh, suggests rage. So these were both very violent, very close, very upfront personal deaths with someone that he professed to love a great deal. Kathy said that when, when they were first married, that he would hit her. She told me that. He used to really have a temper. Whitman had been taking amphetamines in the months leading up to the killings, making his frequent mood swings more volatile. In fact, Whitman had been exhibiting warning signs that he was about to crack for quite some time. Often mass murderers are also abusing substances. The likelihood that they will act out is raised because their inhibitions are lowered and their impulsiveness is raised. So the fact that Whitman was taking dexedrine meant he probably wasn't sleeping well. He probably was irritated. Already being angry, that would have just magnified his sense of the need to pay back somebody or to get revenge. At one point, Whitman even confessed his revenge fantasies in class. Larry looked up and said, Mr. Riley, Charlie's talking about taking a rifle and going up on the tower and shooting a bunch of people. And I just walked over and put my elbows on his table. And I said, now that's just what an old Marine needs to do to show that, to prove that he can shoot. And he never looked up. He, he, uh, he had that little bitty smile on his face and he just kept drawing. Whitman saw a campus doctor about his anxieties and severe headaches. Once again, he spoke about the clock tower. One of the things that uh, Charlie indicated in the session was that he would like to go up to the top of the University of Texas with a deer rifle and kill people. The doctor asked Whitman to return in a week, but he never did. I have thought very much about the concept of death. When it overtakes me someday, I must remember to observe it closely. At sunrise on August the 1st, 1966, Whitman packed enough food to last for two weeks. He also assembled earplugs, matches, rope, a transistor radio, binoculars, and gallons of water. There was a machete and three large hunting knives. He sawed off the stock and barrel of a brand new 12-gauge shotgun and packed it along with three rifles, three pistols, and 700 rounds of ammunition. He loaded everything into his car and then put on a repairman's overalls. At about 11 a.m., he drove to the University of Texas campus. As a student, he was waved through security. So when did you learn that the shooter had like a brain tumor or, or um... PTSD, uh, CTE, stuff like that? I think uh, it essentially was a news broadcast uh, several days later uh, where they uh, announced the results of an autopsy and, and discovered that he did have a brain tumor. And he, he was a Marine, so, I mean, do you think if we had focused on mental health after this incident in 1966 things would be different today with all the school shootings like yeah what? i i think so but uh 
if you this last video you saw uh, it mentioned the fact that he went to a school doctor uh, not an outside doctor and you know the school doctor sees a lot of kids and he probably wasn't thoroughly trained in the aspects of uh, what he was going through what Charles Whitman is going through uh, so that's probably a reason why things fell through the cracks. Yeah, I, I think if he, I think all of our vets who come home <clears throat> from fighting for our freedom should be treated like heroes as they truly are. They're, they're truly heroes that fight for our freedom and the fact that they didn't give him medical attention like the government didn't, it seems like a kind of an issue with me. Yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, it is an issue. We, we uh, you know, something might have happened to him while he was uh, on active duty. Uh, that seemed to be when he came back from active duty and went to the university the first time. He seemed uh, normal. He, he was, yeah, but his grades weren't, you know, good enough. And so they took the scholarship away and went back to active duty again. And so when he went out and went back to school, he did much better. Uh, but then I, I assume that as this uh, uh, tumor grew, it was putting pressure on his brain and causing his headaches and causing him to basically go crazy. And somebody should have picked that up. Uh, obviously, the school doctor should have notified authorities right away rather than saying, come back next week. And the fact that he was taking medication that's trying to self-medicate self self-medicate uh, that that was not helping him at all i mean whitman gave so many signs to teachers and therapists and everybody and it just almost looked like it, it fell upon deaf ears like nobody listened to him and right there's an there's a problem today with with um you know that's when they come home they don't have a place to go i mean sometimes they're homeless sometimes you know they're not i mean it, it, it's a real problem and i feel like the government needs to treat them as the heroes that they are and i know if we focused more on the mental health thing that that would be you know that would resolve a lot of issues uh, with these like we watch marvel movies and we we love all the heroes but we have real heroes in in this country they go and they fight. They are Captain America. They right. are those people in real life. So they should be treated as such. And I know when Trump was president, he uh, signed something called the Veteran Treatment Court Coordination Act. I'm reading it down here. And it was made to help veterans who struggle with PTSD, mental health, and even brain injuries and a, a lot of other things too. But after that, when Biden came into office, not only did he leave troops in Afghanistan, but he he cared more about illegal immigrants than it seemed that he cared about, you know, the, the people that fought for this country. And that 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 was when I just did, I was speechless when all of that was going down. And we we just need we need our government to help these people. Yeah, to help but, our heroes. Yeah, the, veter the Veterans Administration and their hospitals are overwhelmed uh, with all of the patients that come in. Uh, 
and they they need help. They need uh, more people to help uh, take the massive amount of soldiers that come through the VA, and they need funds to have the right kind of people and pay the right kind of doctors. Uh, essentially, I don't think we're paying a, the right amount of attention to the VA hospitals and getting the, the care that the returning military people really need. Yeah. And I just want to say to every veteran that's watching this show, thank you for fighting and risking your life for mine. And thank you for fighting for my freedom. Yes, I agree 100%. And that's all I got right now. Thank you so much for, for everything. Okay. I'm done with history. Thank you for being here, Opa. And uh, I'm glad we got to talk about some of this history. Okay. And uh, let's go back and start with memes. Okay. So what'd you think of that? Wow. I just so fascinating that somebody we know personally was at one of those terrible historic events, witnessing it like right there on the street. Opa was literally there. That is just mind blowing. Wow. What? Well, and the what crazy do you, do thing is about all he saw JFK right before he was assassinated. Too, and it was like a couple years before that. That's why I put that JFK connection. I don't know if you noticed it in the video. I did. But uh, yeah, he saw him right down the road. They let out school and he was able to, to see him in the motorcade, which is cool. So he's seen a lot of cool stuff throughout history. And he witnessed one of, one of the first documented school shootings ever. So I thought that would be cool to talk about and connect it with today and the main takeaway I took from the video is that there are people dealing with medical issues, uh, strange thoughts and stuff throughout history that have committed these atrocities. And it often seems to me like they're either listening to some kind of evil voice in their head or there's mm. some type of demonic influence that is telling them, hey, you should go shoot people from a tower. And, and it's terrible that they give into it, but it, it just makes me think of how much uh, people in the modern world today who are going to psychiatrists that are taking pharmaceutical drugs are all the more susceptible to mind control or or being convinced by spiritual entities or CIA, MK Ultra programs to go and do these crazy things. Man, just a very, very shocking story. Uh, and that was one of the first big shootings, wasn't it? Yeah, 1966. Uh, they have it. I looked it up the other day. There's a museum called Alcatraz East that has the actual the big gun that he was using. Because if you looked at the first uh, video that we were watching, uh, the the old news program, you can see the, the, the puffs of smoke, and that was from the shooter. And then you could see like little ricochets, ricochet. And people were actually trying to shoot him down f from the ground. And and wow. it was ricocheting off and 
Opa said that there were uh, helicopters and they were trying to shoot them. We didn't talk about that in, in this, I don't think, did we? No. Do you want to come on mic? Yeah, no, we didn't. The first video we talked about it, but not this one. Well, do you want to tell everybody what what you experienced with that? <clears throat> yeah, what uh, what we saw was news helicopters flying around. We saw private planes like little Piper Cubs, and we saw uh, people from all over driving their trucks and cars and pulling out deer rifles and handguns and shotguns. And, and they would go to the tower and they'd be shooting. And from a Piper Cub, somebody was trying to shoot. So it, it was craziness. Everything was crazy. It makes me want to ask you, Opa, is in today's push for gun control in the inner cities, like places like Chicago and places like Canada, it's now illegal for people to have those weapons that they were shooting to try to take out the shooter with. How much worse do you think this situation would have been if nobody had access to firearms to then try to take this guy out? How many more people do you think he would have taken out? Uh... I don't know. I can't say. The, the thing was, in 1966, we could carry uh, guns everywhere. We, we had them in our trucks. I mean, Austin back then was more rural than it is today. So uh, there were a lot of people that did hunting and, and, you know, like to go to the gun range and stuff like that. So there were more guns prevalent then than there are now. Uh, and, and of course, the thing that got me was just the madness of the people uh, trying to fire a shotgun from the ground to hit the top of the tower, thinking that they were going to uh, kill the uh, Charles Whitman or, or the people flying the Piper Cub trying to shoot out of the Piper Cub trying to, to hit Whitman. I mean, it, it was just ridiculous. Now, uh, as far as would it have made a difference uh, uh, today, if, if, if we would have allowed less gun control today to, to uh, protect uh, the, the school shootings and things like that, maybe. Uh, I think maybe we should, we should supply guns to people who are in a position to be able to protect the people in the school, perhaps the teachers, perhaps uh, uh, security the security people within within the uh, uh, schools or things like that. He witnessed Did them wheel the body out too, and people were trying to get to it, and they were blocking him off. A lot of lot of weird, crazy stuff. Just all the way back in 1966, and it just goes to show you that you know not much has changed. And if we would focus. And yeah, uh, you know, the thing is, too, that the uh, uh, what he was mentioning was is when they brought the body down, uh, there were people gathered around the tower and these people were so crazy. They wanted to get that body and they wanted to rip it to shreds, even though the guy was dead. And uh, everybody just went went wild because of the fact that that 
this is their first time that they've ever encountered somebody shooting a lot of people and and not just at the campus i mean they they were shoot he was shooting people in a in a barber shop a guy was getting a haircut uh, and he could see him through the window and he hit him window, and, and he, hit. he could hit people real far away because he had some rifles that had long range capability and a, and a good sight and and of course he was a, a an expert marksman just thinking about this story is so fascinating uh and and how you were there witnessing it and and a lot of people are just terrified for these things to happen today so it really makes me think <clears throat> how important it is for people to be able to protect themselves and mm. and also uh you guys shared a lot about uh veterans and uh help that is needed for these people that put their minds and bodies through enormous trauma going overseas and, and fighting wars and and i know uh, many many veterans in the truther community looking back at their time served not only was it trauma just going over there and fighting but it becomes mental anguish and trauma to look back and think that we weren't always fighting wars for the headline news reason you know we people were sent over for other special interests such as for uh, pharmaceutical things for example i have family members and people that i'm close with that were veterans in afghanistan and in, in iraq and they would clear poppy fields one mile off of the roads as people were driving to and fro but they would leave poppy fields that were beyond a mile off of the road because it was hard to see them. And so whenever media would come, they would say, oh, look, everybody's doing a good job. They're taking all the drugs out. But there was actually a system that was very corrupt in the Middle East. And, and a lot of soldiers recognized that they were over there kind of fighting against the wind. And, and, and it's such a traumatizing thing to think that you're fighting a war for not necessarily the the hoorah patriotic reasons you signed up for, but fighting for special interests or for oil control or for pharmaceutical operations to preserve the poppy fields over that there that have been being sold to the CIA. And, and this is stuff that I know Rob talked about mm -hmm. um, in several of his things. I mean, Rob, Rob, your dad also was a veteran, you know, served in the military. Yeah. Uh, I have, I have family members and, and looking back, it's it's like, man, the people that come back from those wars in the Middle East, from those wars uh, throughout the years, and then they learn about the true intentions behind those wars, how much more mental anguish and disenfranchisement do they have that would cause these mental breakdowns, that would cause a lot of the, you know, the, the feelings of abandonment knowing that they were taken advantage of and used for the perpetuation of, of oil banker wars. And, and then they get back to the States and they're not even cared for or provided for in any, like hardly at all. Uh, I have a, another family member that just to get his body treated that had gone through the battering of, of years in the military and it just had completely collapsed and degraded under him to where it's hard to even walk going to the veteran hospitals uh they they go from the premise that 
if you can't prove that you are suffering from these ailments from the military, then they're just going to push you off. And that is so sad because so many things like uh, Agent Orange that mm-hmm. uh, came about during the Vietnam Wars and uh, the things that made men sterile, that caused cancer, uh, the chemical agents that people handled, they come back with all these medical issues. They come out messed up in the head and then they're just abandoned. And no wonder that there's a mental breakdown in a lot of these veterans. And, and it's it's so tragic. And and I know that uh, the Trump administration was one of the best for veterans affairs, as you were mentioning, Jeremiah, which is, you know, really was surprising to see because all the administrations previous, even like under Bush and and under these other guys, they just totally abandoned veterans. Yep. And, and it's so sad, so sad because they really are our Captain Americas. They're truly heroes. And, and it took a, it took, uh, in my opinion, the greatest president, uh, Donald Trump, who never ever was a politician to get so many things, right. So many things, right. And then what happens? They win the election and then you know, all those things that were signed into law are now worthless to the, to the, I don't even want to call him uh, president Brandon, you know what I mean? The Brandon administration. So I don't know. Yeah. I think, I mean, the topic of patriotism and, and the call of men to go to war is always something that we need to look at very carefully. For example, what's going on in Ukraine right now, the war drums are, are, are drumming, man. And we have also like Top Gun uh, was recently, Top Gun 2 was released, uh, kind of spurring on that feeling of patriotism, calling men to sign up to join the army or, or join the military. But then when you look at the, the powers that are moving the pieces, the question is, is, is patriotism serving the corporate entity of the United States, all caps, or is patriotism defending our homes, defending our communities, defending our way of life based on the constitution. And a lot of veterans are coming to realize that the preservation of our families, the preservation of our communities and our ways of life here in the West do not have to be intricately tied to United States, the corporation and her interests, you know? Yep. And, and, yep. and so it's, it's just like, what a mind game that people who serve in the military today have to deal with. And, and there's two groups of people that are so beholden to modern mandates and it is the military and the medical industry mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. people that are staying in the military a lot of the true patriots who just love America and want to keep the, the true, good, beautiful, alive and well, and they're not there just because they, they want to shoot people, mm-hmm. those people are being weeded out by a lot of these mandates that are contradiction to the constitutional rights. And a lot of these people that are having to fold to their convictions just so they can participate in the mil- military complex, they are all the more beholden to the agendas that are being pushed in in recent years so there have been uh hundreds and hundreds of of generals and captains and high-ranking officers that were being weeded out during the obama administration 
Uh, a lot of them felt that there was a reprieve during the Trump administration because finally somebody was putting America first, right? Yep. But then as soon as Biden yep. comes in, a lot of the same agendas are being used to weed out the people that would truly stand up to protect the United States Constitution and the, the principles that this nation was founded on. And it's just such a mind game now because, you know, people today that are signing up for the military, you really got to ask yourself, what agenda are you going to be serving in the coming years? For example, if if Biden starts drumming the war drums for us to go to war in Ukraine, is that a war that is actually worth uh, fighting? Worth fighting. Worth fighting. Exactly, man. Is it worth fighting for the industrial complex of United States, all caps, and her banking, monetary, worldwide financial interests, right? Mm -hmm. Or is what truly worth fighting for the, the Constitution of the United States, which was founded upon biblical principles, and what's worth fighting for is our rights as individuals to stop tyranny, including, according to the Constitution, that which comes from governance, right? Tyranny from the government also, and, and standing up and defending our homes, our culture, our families from a lot of the things that come along with the World Economic Forum and the, the new, new World Order and the things that we heard even Bush Sr. talking about that they were wanting to bring, which was world dominance in order to bring everyone under a new world order. Because a lot of these wars throughout the past years have happened in nations that aren't going along with the banking system routine. That, you know, the, there's like Gaddafi was trying to produce a, a, a currency that was outside of the world bank industry and he was taken out. And, and so there are many examples throughout the past 20, 30 years of how our military system really has been the military arm of the new world order and the soldiers that fight are good-hearted people that are just trying to do right and they're just trying to to kind of live up to the expectations that our movies and our tvs and they're being taken advantage us. of they're being so taken exactly. advantage of it's so wrong and like i love the constitution i love the second amendment i love carrying my gun on me at all times you know that's my right and texas is cool because we have the constitutional carry and i wish all states would do that but they're they're, they're probably not <laughs> you need to yeah. come move to texas man yeah we we uh we actually had a good law here in kentucky before uh recently we had a democratic governor elected but we had a uh constitutional carry uh law here and that it was actually oh, you don't did? have to have license yep, yeah you didn't have to have a license to constitutional carry so it was there are good. So it's very similar to ours. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, man. Well, after all that dark stuff, I think it's uh, you ready for some memes? Oh yeah, you're gonna love some of the ones I got right. this week. And before we start, if you have any questions for Opa uh, regarding the 1966 Charles Whitman shooting, leave a comment below and. I'll get the answer from him and I'll reply. So let's meme me up.
All right. Awesome. <laughs> All right. Here's uh, our first meme of the day. It's uh, good old Drake uh, looking at his phone and it says, me trying to figure out what's going on in the world VI memes since I refuse to watch the news. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I thought this was hilarious since uh, we use a lot of memes to kind of get across our opinions and talk about current events. So it, it really hit home to kind of <laughs> what we do here on Skiba News Nation. Yeah, that was great. That's so funny. All right. Uh, we have... Uh, a very funny meme from Norm McDonald, as oh. I uh, preluded to earlier. Uh, and uh, this is what Norm McDonald says about Pride Month, since we're still <laughs> here in uh, the sixth month of the year, which Obama declared was Pride Month. He says, a real shame to see what's happened to Pride Month, how it's been taken over by these big corporations makes me harken back to more innocent times when the family would gather round to celebrate. No gifts, no fancy marketing campaigns, just simple joys of sodomy and AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Norm MacDonald, what a, what a, like a insightful comedian. Uh, I know why you love him so much, man. He, he, uh, he just, told it like it is you know he's very much like andy kaufman like he didn't want you to know if he was messing with you or not but he was a truth teller he would he would tell the truth regardless of if it hurt somebody's feelings or not which is how you know america used to be it used to be before you know all the pc culture and the cancel culture and he was canceled and just kind of ignored it and it went away <laughs> he the, the he's a comics comic they call him so he would like, he didn't care if the audience got it or not. He just did it. And, you know, through some dark times in my life, I've watched Norm and have laughed so hard. And I feel like that's important. You know, if they cancel comedy, they're canceling that joy of laughing, in my opinion. And uh, yeah, that, that last special, I don't know if you've seen it on Netflix, it's right before he died, he recorded it in his house, on his computer, kind of like this setup, but looking at his computer. And it was just like, I, I cried because I was like, man, he knew that it was the end and he didn't tell anybody. He didn't tell his family, friends, nobody, nobody knew. And then he just was gone. And I had wrote him a letter <laughs> like, the, like uh, a couple months before and he sent me back something and then my mom texted me saying, Hey, Norm Macdonald died. And I was like, Oh my God. But he, he was a believer. Um, and that's pretty cool to have a mainstream comedian as a believer. So I know I'll be seeing him again. He's making everybody up there laugh. So. Yeah. It, I think it's, tied to a love for the truth and, mm -hmm. and when you recognize that in other people that they have the spirit of truth you know which in the bible is called the holy spirit right yep that guys like they, they might tell crude jokes every once in a while they might be more honest than makes you comfortable but there's a role for all these different types of people and and i think that's so amazing that that he had faith and and that he had a belief in in christ and in god and and he was a christian as well as 
being able to like interact with all these mainstream celebrities and stuff and and the way that he kind of uh kept people from putting up the shield of ah, nah, 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 stop preaching at me is because he used truth as his comedy and it allowed him to speak into people's lives and, and point out like funny little things like that meme i just read uh and uh you know here's another meme it's a regarding projection and externalization and this is what we have happening in our culture today and it says up here i'm not okay until you also wear a mask right that's what happened here in 2020 and then we have a, a in 2021 i'm not okay until you also take the hokey pokey right <laughs> and now this month we have i'm not okay until you also endorse my behavior and just like norm mcdonald was talking about he's like man i look back to the days before all this pride stuff was corporatized you know before walmart and netflix and all the and disney and all these people were painting rainbow flags everywhere celebrating sodomy right yeah well, let's just look back fondly on the days <laughs> where it was just about you know you know you know your freaky sex life and your age you know, it's like he, oh, he makes man. fun he of kinda... uh this pride month thing way before you know i mean anybody at home wanting to get a good laugh just type in norm mcdonald and you'll find endless amounts of funny jokes about pride about whatever and he he hit it right on right on the head it was so great we miss him you know that that's a, another reason I think you you'd love to watch some of the uh, Owen Benjamin's podcasts because you know BB's one of his biggest influences as a comedian uh, is Norm Macdonald and mm -hmm. he and Norm actually had a relationship uh, so there's a lot of the similar characteristics of just blatant just honesty some of that content as well and and why I, I like to use some of BB's memes in our show here is. Because he does have that very strong influence from Norm Macdonald. I know you love Norm. And, um, man, it's just, uh, uh, you know, comedy, the best comedy is truth, right? Mm -hmm. Because you're telling something that people are so uh, scared to speak that when you feel free to just let it fly, that it relieves tension, right? And yep. um, here's our final <laughs> meme for today. And Name it's... Speak to me, Lord. Somebody praying. And then out of the cloud, he hands him a Bible, right? <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've talked about this with some friends recently is uh, so oftentimes people are, are want to hear the voice of God in their life. They want to know what their purpose is. What is my role here? And we don't realize that if we start with the things that he's given us already, that the whole world can clear up all the confusion, all the misunderstanding, all the agendas can have a light shed on them. If we just open the Bible and, and start reading and start to apply it to our life. And, uh, and, and what we find in today's world is people start to, you know, say what God is and is not and what God wants and what he doesn't want, but they've not even taken the time to, to look into the, book. the word and to find out. all the exactly. answers are there. And, and, that's where we need to start and, and yep. that's what you know rob always encouraged people throughout his whole ministry and all his things he produced is that guys let's just 
take the book literally. Mm-hmm. And I know he changed so many lives, so many people's lives. And uh, and if anything, I could, you know, just bring up that he influenced me in and 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 what I hope to share with you, Jeremiah, is that guys, all of the the things that we are confused about, all of the things we wonder about in our purpose and our destiny as individuals, yeah. we can unpack from the word. Because the wisest man who ever lived, right, King Solomon, who had all the women and all the gold and all the beautiful things and all the stuff, right? Mm-hmm. He lived into old age. He had a lot of failures and shortcomings. But in the end, it says that he he summed up the whole purpose of life. And it's not what is talked about in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, like what the big robot with the big head said the meaning of life was. The number 42 they're like, what the heck's 42 mean? And it's like, well, you, you didn't give me a good question. So that's the answer without your question. But the question that we need to be asking is, what does the most high want from us? Mm-hmm. And then the answer that the wisest man who ever lived gave was to fear God and to keep his commandments. And that's what Rob was uh, preaching to the day he died, man. And, and I think that's what uh, I want to reiterate for Skiba News Nation audience and uh, that was the last little funny meme I wanted to show. It's like, Lord, speak to me. And he's like, boom. It's simple. Just re- open it. It's right there. It's right here. It's right here. So, all right. That's all the funny memes I have for today. Oh, man. It's been a great show. Oh. Well, man, it's been a great show. I enjoyed those memes. I love the current news. I hope you enjoyed the history. Yes. Good. Yeah. Well, I hope I hope we continue to grow. I mean, we've grown so significantly. I'm blown away. Like every day, I'm blown away by how many people are subscribing and sharing our content. And I think we're being monitored. If I'm being honest. <laughs> Because they keep turning that spigot off. Uh, yeah. Do you want to tell the audience what's happening? <laughs> I Maybe got to, man. It, guys, look, if you could only see the background analytics of our videos, every episode gets most of its views in the first 24 hours. The first Skiba News Nation episode in like less than 14 hours got 13,000 views and then went sideways and even at one point had. 2000 views removed and then you know it kept going sideways the episode two jumped to 22 23,000 views in the first 12 hours and then went completely sideways huh i wonder why (laughs) episode three blew up even more viral in the first 24 hours man mind-blowing numbers right Seventy thousand views and then hit a wall in the first 12 hours and went completely so there's definitely an audience out there that this content is reaching we really hope it's it's, you know it's a benefit to you guys but hey the only way we can get around the the algorithm that first day youtube scene is to to share it out and get this in front of as many people as you can uh because we're trying to do good we're trying to get to the truth we're trying to share our our thoughts on the world and and shed a light on the darkness right and so Absolutely. Let's break the algorithm, guys. Let's do it, man. <laughs> and if they're going to kick us off, let's go out with a bang, right? 
Oh yeah, yeah. Let's let's get as much information out there as we can, and, and maybe let's give a shout out to uh, our other alternative platforms that people can find Skiba News Nation. Well, they can find us on uh, Rumble now. I set up a Rumble where it's connected. You might still need to help me with a little bit of the technical stuff, but um, uh, what do you want me to give them? Instagram. Yeah, Facebook? yeah. I think yeah. The yeah, Facebook. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram. Instagram. Uh, we'll try to get BitChute as well. BitChute Twitter. setup is a good alternative. We're on Twitter and Twitter. Truth Social, uh, which is Trump's Twitter. It's actually a little bit better than Twitter because you can say whatever you want. Um, trying to think of all the other platforms. Just any platform. If you wanna, if you wanna search Skiba News Nation, that should be the uh, username or the at Skiba News Nation. So you should be able to find us that way. So, okay, so if you want to submit a story, please email submit at skibanewsnation.com. And also, me and Jake are thinking about doing a future segment where you write us a letter and we reply. And that, and that uh, address is Jeremiah Skiba, P.O. Box 560271, The Colony, Texas 75056. And we'd love to hear from you. And if it's a private message, please just write private at the top if you don't want it read on the show. And uh, we'll keep that private. But uh, we'd love to hear from you. Good, bad, whatever. We'll read it. It's all about truth. Well, man, oh, Jake, yeah. I couldn't do, I, cu I could not do this show without you. And I appreciate you being here. You are the best co-host I could ever ask for. And anything else you'd like to say to, to everybody? Just thank you, Jeremiah, for letting me be a part of this, and and uh, I'm so happy to get to be on here talking about uh, news and scriptures and and about Rob with you. Uh, I think it's going to benefit so many people because uh, you know Rob, your dad had a big influence on my life, and I know you're super interested in just unpacking all of his lifelong work, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think we're really going to help a lot of people. And I'm just so happy that. You asked me to be along the journey with you, and and uh, just a for on my side, just a quick shout out to the people that have helped me. Uh, shout out to uh, some people I've stolen memes from. Thank you, uh, Annie and uh, Mrs. Griffin, and also uh, shout out to BB for the gravy. Uh, some of the the videos and memes I learned over the years from watching that podcast. So uh, those are my shout outs, and uh, and you know just once again, Jeremiah, uh, it's great to be a part of Skiba News Nation. All right, man. Well, I'd like to thank those people, too. And thank you for watching Skiba News Nation, episode four. We'll see you in five, right? Hey everybody, thank you for watching this episode of Skiba News Nation. I hope you enjoyed. Please like, share, and subscribe. And if you want, you can even get Skiba News Nation gear. Thank you again for watching, and we'll see you next time here on Skiba News Nation. Stay tuned.